Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at financial planning professionals and also those who are looking to enter the financial planning profession. We will be talking during the podcast about all things certified financial planner certification related, talking to other CFPs around the world, and also we will be dropping in on some new entrants who've just entered the financial planning profession, and we'll be checking up along the way on a regular basis with them to see how they're getting on. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lucky, your financial planning maestro. And today I have another fantastic guest, somebody who has recently um, passed their certified financial planner certification. And that is Alistair Walker from Handford Aitken and Walker. Welcome, Alistair. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, um, we are just going to dive straight in because I've got lots of interesting things to ask you about, Um, all about your journey to CFP, about why you decided to do the CFP. And also, um, you know, you had, I think you had some issues along the way. So just to try and get to the bottom of what happened and how you felt. Um, And then finally, we're just going to look at some tips and things, any tips and tricks that you could pass on to everybody else who's going to be starting their level seven journey in November this year. Absolutely. So first of all, tell us about how you came across the CFP and why you decided that you wanted to go through that process and become a certified financial planner in the UK. Yeah, so an interesting question. I uh, I was thinking about this actually uh, the other day. Um, I sit on a practitioner panel for the Personal Finance Society and I guess kind of ironically, I was first um, started thinking about the CFP in a, in a serious way uh, when I joined that panel, which was about three years ago. Uh, on the panel were a number of people who'd been former CFP assessors or, or involved uh, uh, what was the IFP previously. Um, and there was a lot of discussion about how the financial planning education at the PFS um, was a big shortcoming and that really the gold standard in the UK was the CFP. And I'd, I'd come across it previously. I'd, I'd, I'd heard others talking about it. I'd never really looked into it seriously. Um, trying to get any information out of the CISI had proven uh, challenging, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, to put it kindly. And uh, and I'd not really looked much further. Um, I've spent a career doing uh, CII-based exams with the PFS and um, was chartered and a fellow and uh, you know, felt I was at the pinnacle of, of, of exam success. And I thought, well, we're doing financial planning, what I believe to be good quality financial planning with all clients. So we were at that stage. We'd yeah. just kind of transitioned from a from a more traditional um, sort of product-focused model to that full financial planning model. I'd, I'd managed that transition in our business. And, um, and I thought, well, let's get some third-party ratification about what we're doing. <laughs> so... Um, so, so that that was it. It was it was coming from this panel, hearing people who I you know really respected and trusted experts in the field saying this is the qualification that that shows you financial planning metal really. Yeah, and I guess it's that application of knowledge, isn't it, that that starts to come through. That's what you start to need to apply when you're going through that case study creation and the assessment process. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, it, it, it's interesting. I've heard the CFP sort of c- compared to the, um, the sort of body of technical exams as, as, as a sort of a contrast, you know, it's technical over here and then it's CFP over here. But I think there is an awful lot of assumed technical knowledge in the syllabus. Yes. Um, and I think anybody who thought, oh, well, I'm not the most technical of people, but I'm going to go and have a go at the CFP anyway, would would find themselves struggling. Yes, definitely. Because it because it's about, you know, I always talk to people about this kind of giant 3D jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to build when you're going through your case study to build that financial plan. And you need that level of technical knowledge to be able to apply it to build that giant jigsaw puzzle, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always always sort of thought of financial planning as a spider's web because every time you pull on one strand, you know, <laughs> it messes up something somewhere else and yeah. uh, affects all the others around it. So, uh, so yeah, definitely, it's, it's that kind of thing. But you you definitely need that technical ability to 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 be able to apply it. And so, you embarked on the the new level seven launched by the CISI what's coming up to two years ago now, um, and you know, the new pathway that's gone in. So you sat the level six exam, yes? That's right. Yeah, we did that in March 2020. um, Just got in before national lockdowns. (laughs) Um, In fact, I distinctly remember having a bit of a debate with with my uh, co-director who who did it with me um, on the train on the way back about how serious COVID was going to be. Uh, And I was there going, oh, it's just just a problem in the Far East. It's never going to make it over here. And how, how wrong I was. Yeah, indeed. I think you were very fortunate to be able to to get that exam in. I can also remember thinking at the time, you know, we thought that COVID at the CISI wasn't going to be around that long. And, uh, you know, little did we know as well. I think most people were were caught unawares of the seriousness of it. But but yeah, so tell us about the exam itself. How did the, you know, the whole experience of the exam compare perhaps to some of the chartered exams that you've sat with the CII previously? Yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. I, I think it's interesting, actually. I think the exam, in some ways, the exam was very interesting because it was the first exam that I've come across in that sit down, write some, you know, bullet pointed answers format that mm-hmm. attempted to get across what we actually do with clients. So there was an element of actual practical um, experience in there. Uh, I think it, it suffers because it's a very it's a very wide syllabus because you're basically are testing elements of, of, of the technical knowledge needed um, you know, for an entire financial planning process. Yes. But it's necessarily then also very shallow. So wide and shallow by comparison to a very typical technical exam, uh, and I'm used to the ones from the CII, but I'm sure CC's wealth management exams are similar, that tend to be very narrow syllabuses, but quite deep. Um, yeah. and, and so this wide, shallow approach was new to me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't feel like I'd applied myself very hard to the exam, uh, to the study for it. Um, I think, on the other hand, of course, there's a decade's worth of having done the job. So so that that's some application there and, and lots of exams in the background. But um, what I would say is it didn't in the least bit prepare me for what the case study was going to look like. I was there <laughs> thinking, oh, well, that's quite easy. I think I got a, a merit, you know, for, for yeah. the exam. And uh, I was like, oh, I didn't have to try too hard on that. This level seven life is going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, again, this is the theme, I think, along the, this, this discussion is going to be that I'm wrong quite a lot. well we all have our moments yeah we're entitled to be wrong every now and again that's absolutely fine but um so you know 
coming out of the exam, um, you know, you felt confident and passing and and then obviously you did pass. Uh, so congratulations on that, belated congratulations. Um, and then did you decide to take a break or did you dive straight in and pick up the level seven case study? Pretty much went straight in for the case study. I think I signed up for the ne- whatever the next um, uh, timing the next schedule window. was. Yeah. Um, the results of the exam were quite were quite delayed, and then we also had the overlay of, of everything going on with COVID. Um, and so I think in the end, I sat down to work on the first case study in December. I seem to remember it was December uh, twenty twenty, and. and I, um, in fact, no, it may, it may well have been the autumn. But anyway, whenever it was, I sat down and I thought, well, maybe I should get some help with this. And I looked for, um, there was there's one, was one course authorised as being an appropriate course for it, which is um, the FP Training Academy. I think um, uh, Steve's yes. been a recent guest. Steve, yeah. um, and Steve Martin. And I rang him up and said, Steve, when are you next running the course? And he said, oh, I've, I've just run it last week. You missed it. <laughs> so, so, uh, oh, no. so we had we had about an hour on the phone. Uh, it, Steve very kindly had, had a chat with me um, about sort of the, the the main issues to hit, and I had decided I was going to apply the financial planning methodology and approach that we do in the office because the original objective had been to sort of ratify what we were doing. Yeah. Um, and so I started off with a with a similar kind of reporting structure. I started off with a we, we use Voyant uh, other cash flow software as available. And I thought I'm hey, I'm going to do this using cash flow forecasting software. I'm I'm going to do this using our report structure. Um, that was my first submission. Uh, I also got in touch with three or four of the pilot uh um, pilot case study um, sort of uh, assessees. Yes. Uh, so I, I sort of trolled Twitter and looked on LinkedIn and got in touch with contacts and, and, and worked out three or four people who'd, who'd passed uh, the, the the pilot round and managed to persuade all of them to give me a little bit of their time, talk to them about it. Two or three of them had used cash flow forecasting software, commercially available stuff um, to do their submissions. I was like, right, that's a good sign. It's yep. possible. Um and I went away and did that. Okay. And how much time did you spend constructing your plan using Voyant to construct your financial plan, roughly? Oh, yeah, that, it's hard to specify. I mean, it, it's funny, your CPD log, you always got to put down a number of hours and and they always seem to be very rounded, don't they? Yeah. You know, 50 hours of this, 60 hours of that, you know, whatever else. Um, I'd say it was probably three good weekends worth of work. Um, okay. Of of, go, of going through it, of, of building the plan, um, of trying to pull out the learning outcomes within the existing reports that I was using, and of course that 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 led to challenges because um, you're with the benefit of hindsight, you're asking the examiner to hunt around for the marks rather than giving the marks to the examiner on the plate. Um, yeah. And the irony is that I'm quite often sought out by people to give exam help, uh, exam technique help, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm reasonably well known for, for being fairly successful uh, within the sort of context of professional exams. Uh, and I give that advice to people. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you didn't do it yourself. <laughs> no, no. And, because, and it, was, it was a classic case of, um, of where we'd started from. The starting objective was to kind of have what we were doing ratified. And I didn't stop and think, hang on, does this match 
the structure that they're asking for. Yeah. And in fact, of course, there is a structure recommendation. Learning outcome 4.4.1 gives you a structure to use. Yes, it does indeed. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that you know that that was staring me right in the face, um, but but I, I just kind of ploughed on ahead, uh, re- regardless, trying to do it my own way. Okay, so after spending sixty-ish hours um, ploughing on, uh, you submitted it, and yeah, so um, submitted it. I didn't really know how to feel about it. Um, I was. Uh, I, my my colleague had done something similar, but he'd then identified. He'd looked through the the, the exemplar um, case study, which has all sorts of challenges. But he'd looked it through that, and he'd realised that um, that a lot of the tables were very specific in a way that Voyant doesn't output by default. So he then spent a weekend converting all the Voyant outputs into the format he thought the exam examiner wanted. Okay. Um, and I hadn't done that. So I was thinking, oh, gosh, OK, maybe I'm going to lose a few few points there. But, um, you know, I was fairly confident in the work that I'd done. Um, I, I got I got 32%. <laughs> it was the, it was wow. the lowest uh, exam mark I've had since I got an E in my mock maths AS level. Um, Wowee. That's actually, great that was going. probably a higher mark. I think an E probably is a higher mark than thirty percent. Anyway, <laughs> it was it was it was pretty abysmal. It's yeah. fair to say. Gosh, and and I guess after spending sixty hours on it, you were feeling feeling pretty frustrated. And you know, what did the feedback look like for you? How did you feel yeah. when you got the feedback? Um, it, it's a, I, I, it's a little bit like the um, like the five stages of grief, you know. Um, I, I think I pretty much uh, went through every one of them. So you've got denial first. Now this is just wrong. They must have sent me the wrong one. Um, then anger. I, I spent quite a long time in anger. <laughs> I think we spoke when you were in the anger bit. <laughs> yeah, I think we did. Um, and and I and I still and this is you know e- easy for me to say, but I still think that that. That a portion of that anger was 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 justified, um, but for all sorts of reasons. I think that that the process could be explained far better. I think the expectations weren't clear. I think the the idea that the workbook is sufficient to produce a workable CFP case study, having read it and read through it and, and had a look, is um, is nonsensical. I mean, I, I'd seen. More so than that, I'd seen anonymized shared versions of different case studies that had passed. People had been kind enough to share those with me. Not my case study. I very deliberately checked with people previously because I know there are only a small number of case studies, and I really didn't want there to be any question that I yeah. might be, um, you know, might might be, uh, you know, um, plagiarizing. I think it's very important. Um, but but so I had seen other people's work and I felt mine was of a similar quality uh, and so I was really stuck with what the issue was um, so so yeah definitely some some anger there and uh, but then you know the, once you once you can get over the the shock the the structure of the feedback is very thorough mm-hmm. and the feedback's given learning outcome by learning outcome what doesn't come out there very well is that the learning outcomes are so deeply connected that actually very often the uh, fixing one thing can fix everything. Yes. And so that kind of came out in between the second and third submission, but, but I'm kind of I'm skipping ahead there. 
Um, but, but I'm sure we'll get onto it. So yeah, one, but once I got an overall of that, I um, I did some soul searching. I rang a few people, yourself included. I thought, you know what, actually, there's there's some scope here to um, to, to make something workable. But I'm going to have to start from scratch. I'm going to have to bin what I've done, and I'm going to have to pretend I never made that first submission. Um, and I managed to get get on Steve's course this time. Yep. Uh, and Steve's course is, um, I mean, it, it, it's excellently delivered. It's mostly a spreadsheet building course. Yes. Um, because Steve's view is that the most reliable way to pass is to is to build a plan the way, effectively, I guess, that CFP plans have always been built <laughs> over the yeah. years. Steve has a lot of experience in sort of training people in, in the CFP. So, um, so I kind of ate a load of humble pie. I sat and did the course. I built the spreadsheet. Um, and I, and I rebuilt the plan from scratch. And uh, this time, I took the advice that uh, my own advice, largely that I should have taken at first. And I made every single learning outcome a heading that needed that needed something underneath it. Okay. So so learning outcome one point one point one is is the client's attitude towards saving and debt determined. And so there is a heading that says your attitude to savings and debt. And then you know, one point one point two is the impact of changes in income expenditure assessed, and so on. You know, so there was a there was yeah. a point to answer for every single learning outcome in the second model. And okay. I thought, if, I, if I can't hand, you know, there is no way I can hand <laughs> those those potential marks on any nicer a plate to the examiner if I do it that way. And so, roughly, how long did that process take it take you? And another sixty hours again, if you were kind of starting. Probably more. Not- uh, probably wow. more because it in, including the time of Steve's course, which is three days. Yeah. Um, it was probably another three to four weekends work, I would wow. guess. Um, uh, the, the, uh, that second submission, I think, was about 18,000 words. You know, Where are we? Good, old, good old chunk of text. Yeah. yeah. That includes all the table contents and everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 18,000 on the second submission. And so between versions one and two were was your brain kind of going to different places finding different thinking about different results different different options for the client along the way or did you think actually I'm basically just kind of you know retrospectively recreating what Voyant had done no I don't, I don't think so actually and I think it, I'd suffered from a from a fundamental misunderstanding of what the CFP was testing uh, and and that was you know, I wanted to kind of demonstrate my my competence and capabilities as a practitioner. I imagined a client coming in and seeing me and me sitting down and saying, these are the sort of issues that are going to affect you. Um, and the CFP at its core is a is a sort of a discounting, a, a future discounting exercise. And it's about allocating today's funds in a, you know, in a, in a verifiable way to the pounds and pence to fix this, that, that and the other goal. Yeah. Um, you know, a good a good example is one of the feedback in the first one was I'd identified a, 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 a protection gap, and I'd rounded the protection recommendation up to the nearest ten thousand pounds because it just it's it's just neater, <laughs> you know, rather than saying you should buy life insurance for two hundred and seventy two thousand three hundred fifty two pound eighty three um, <laughs> or whatever, you know, you yeah. round it up to 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 a, to a round number. Um, and that had actually been pulled up as one of the issues. No justification has been given given for this amount. 
because you're slightly overinsuring, I it's, guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, and so it was this. It was this. Um, this realization, I suppose, by the second uh, submission, that actually, you know, this is a this is a this is a hard and fast exercise in allocation of of assets. Yeah. Um, you know, stop stop trying to apply a practitioner. And, and whilst I think it absolutely has improved my um, my thinking as a practitioner, it doesn't test that specifically. That's a that's a side effect of the yes. way that the CFB is structured. It's kind of like going through the mangle, I guess, isn't it? What well, you come out a lot slimmer in the other the other end, but you know, it's still a painful experience going through the middle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so. So, so after spending what we're adding it up roughly, we're looking at 150 plus hours in total so far um, on your plan. Then you submitted your second submission, um, and then what happened? Yeah, so um, so second submission uh, went in. Um, in fact, I just, I just checked by the way. Uh, so I I submitted the first one in August 2020. So I did pretty much start it straight after the exam. Yeah. Um, the second submission went in in December I oh, sorry no, in Fe- uh, oh, I must have been February 2021 they've got the date wrong yeah so in February 21 and uh and it was a narrow fail as it came back you know the, the candidate has put in a significant amount of work in the previous submission but there's still these issues and there were a series of issues and effectively they all um they mostly were 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 short easy fixes but because of this flow through the um flow through the planning um one of the key issues that that that, that i won't that i won't let go even though i again you know because of the power dynamic you just have to fix it um the examiner disagreed with my assumptions on life expectancy so I'd, i'd reasoned them and i would argue that they were reasonable um but they just didn't agree with it so they said i can't i don't think it i Personally, if you like, don't think it's reasonable um, that the that working to age ninety five, which is what I used, yeah, um, uh, it, it makes sense in this case. Um, something something beyond ninety five would be reasonable without without um, clarification given. So that effectively meant that a whole other elements in the plan couldn't work. Yeah, because, because there's five years of unknown, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's that's one of the issues that other people have said about the feedback is that when they get their feedback, they can see what the problem is. And then when they start fixing it, actually, it is having a knock on effect because of that cascade effect through the plan. It's having a knock on effect somewhere else, which then means you can't just leave that other bit alone. You're then kind of off down a rabbit hole of fixing all sorts of other different things. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it is. It's it's like whack a mole, basically, <laughs> um, and it comes back to that. You know, this image in my head of a spider's web, right? Because you go, okay, well, I'll come over here and I'll fix that, but it pulls everything else out, out of kilter. Um, what I would say is, and, and perhaps something that isn't immediately obvious, um, but but there, but your second submission and onwards has a previously passed section for certain learning outcomes. Yes. And as far as I'm aware, that pretty much isn't reversible. You'll know better than me, no, Jackie. But, it's but, not the, but the point is yep. that in some senses, if you're worried about things being being moved on, I think that's probably I, I probably worry too much about it 
because actually, in the, if those areas have been previously passed, they're not then subsequently going to fail on, the, on a future submission. That's right. Once you've passed an area, you can't then be failed on it later on, um, yes. which uh, which is something it, it's very important, actually, for other people embarking on the process or in the middle of it at the moment right now um, to remember, because it can, you know, I've come across other people that I've been supporting along the way and they've spent quite a significant number of extra hours fixing those extra bits. Um, and it's this dichotomy of when you read the whole plan, there's a bit that's kind of a bit wonky <laughs> because it was passed on the previous assessment. Um, but obviously what, what you're doing changes it. Um, but actually you don't actually need to change that bit. So you do need to be quite careful with the bits when you're redoing parts that it flows through still nicely into the other bits, even though you don't need to kind of rework the whole of those other sections if you pass them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, and I think I probably spent too long on the third submission with that in yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> so roughly, now we're up to 150 hours, roughly thereabouts. How long, again, roughly do you think that you spent on that third submission? It was, it was a, I did it within the resubmission period. Uh, so there's a there's a kind of a, a short and a long resubmission period. Yeah, there's a the rapid one. window, isn't there? Yeah, a couple of weeks, um, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but in the in the sort of ongoing saga of the CISI um, messing things up, they'd actually my exam feedback from the examiner had been corrupted, so they sent me a half uh, a half blank piece of feedback and said, "Look, we're really sorry, we don't have the full one yet. We need to go back to the examiner." So I got a bit of an extension, okay. um, but I'd say it was pr- probably another five days work I took a long weekend basically and, and, and took a couple of oh my word in the office. Um, but on and off I mean this is the thing right it's it's doing a bit going back go and do something else coming back to it doing a bit more going back doing something else that that's how I tend to work best so yeah. it wasn't five solid days of work no um but it was it was probably another few hours the, the, the final word count was 20,000 almost exactly um uh, on the on the third submission um the the spreadsheet uh, proliferated uh, and turned into a full financial, uh, you know, full lifetime financial model, yeah. um, complete with index uh, that, that, that's fully, fully click aroundable, um, just because that's the kind of uh, geek I am, really. <laughs> um, but the uh, but the approach was the was the same again, really. Um, it's tempting, I think, just to go through the learning outcomes one by one and go right. I'll fix that. I'll fix that. I'll fix that. Um, but I think it's actually worth considering there's a there's a sensible order to do the to do the um planning in so so each of the case studies has a has a a special need which should always be the first priority um then then retirement planning then estate planning and then financial protection because i guess in that order each has less of an impact on the others as you go down that list um, and so coming back to resubmission, following that order again in terms of fixing the problems, I think is going to minimise that issue of, of of things affecting other things. Yeah. And what I found um, in the past is that sometimes the client will say in the case study, you know, protection is probably their most important thing or the one, their top priority. And people tend to charge off 
and fix that first when protecting the existing income stream. But actually, that is the income stream as we stand today before you've spent any money on anything, achieving any objectives. So what the reality is that you end up revisiting it twice. You do it right at the start of the plan and then again at the end of the plan, um, yeah, which absolutely. which a lot of people just don't realise. I think it's, it's important to kind of think through your process. And actually also, I think important, I don't know whether you found this, that I found that some people some things can by fixing one thing uh, your feedback two or three or four bits of feedback kind of go away they automatically fix themselves yeah absolutely uh, and you know the, myself being a prime example because this issue of, of, of age of, of modeling um, you know it may it almost certainly could have been I'd have that I'd have just fixed that um, a couple of other small fixes, and then I could have submitted it and, and not spent much on it. But but mm. I had I, at this point I, I was in a what I thought was to be a, a bit of a siege with the examiner, and so I was I was definitely going to prepare my final volley, uh, you know, as uh, as thoroughly as I could. <laughs> um, you know, the the armies were being commanded as far as I was concerned. So, and I think uh, that, that's the other thing to remember is that your case study assessment is going back to the same assessor each time too. Um, so I guess like in your situation, if you don't feel that they are kind of understanding what's going on um, and why you've taken the approach or, you know, just fundamentally, as you said, you know, disagree, um, then, um, you know, there's potential for, you know, for for more upset and more conflict there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but on the other hand, I suppose, um you you're getting consistency I, yeah. I think it would be very frustrating if you had one examiner mark uh mark a submission and then resubmitted and had someone totally new look at it uh, yeah it could cause all sorts of uh, headaches yeah and I think on balance you're right I think on balance it's better to go back to the same sort of person because you don't want somebody else who who's you know kind of looks at it differently and I think my experience of being an assessor myself you know the assessors we, we all had our favorite bits for me it was assumptions as you know well know um but uh, you know i'd always look very deeply at the assumptions of the first thing that i would do when i got anybody's plan um but uh, but i guess you know the reality is that as financial planners as we were at the time then we're all perhaps we have all slightly different specialisms and you know our kind of favorite areas um which i guess that's kind of what makes us all different but good financial planners but obviously in this environment um it can be reflected out in perhaps some more subjective feedback that you you receive definitely um so Let's move on then. You sent in your third and final assessment attempt and and then pass. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, passed with 96% in the end, um, which I was quite pleased with. Um, you know, the, the kind of the, the the journey up the mountain, if you like, from 32% yeah. for the first result, 54% uh, for the second and 96 for the third, you know, really did feel like I'd... Uh, um, I'd I, I'd beaten the CFP by the first submission. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And so now you've had, you know, obviously a few months, more than a few months to reflect on the whole process. Um, do you think it has, you know, we talked about, you know, that going through the mangle phase. Do you think going through that phase has helped you in your business day to day and helped the advice, you know, by way of, I don't know, qualitative advice or structure of the way that you give advice to, to your clients? Um, that's a, that's a really 
uh, good question and one that we've reflected on a bit in the office. As I say, I went through the process with a with a co-director. Um, he passed on his second attempt um, and I passed on my third. Um, we, we felt that it ratified a lot of what we were doing in terms of approach. So that was useful. That's what we'd set out to do. Um, certain areas, certainly in, in, for example, assumptions, you know, one actual business outcome it led to was for us to sit down and put together a, a proper, you know, house assumptions document mm-hmm. that describes what, what assumptions we make, why, where the evidence is for them, and in what circumstances we might change them. So that is that's a, a, a very specific outcome from it that's been helpful. We've restructured our risk um, our risk profiling output as a result as well. Uh, so we run our own in-house risk profiler. We've never bought a third parties because we've never thought they, they did what we wanted them to. And for that means that I was able to build in what's quite a nice and not really one that's drawn out from the, certainly the commercial software that's available currently. Um, but our risk profiler now follows the sort of short-term, medium-term, long-term model that the CFP does. Yeah. Um, so it becomes a much more general risk profile exercise that we can then apply to different portfolios rather than, you know, as traditionally you go, well, with regards to this money only, what are we going to do with it sort of thing? So, yeah. so again, that was another, another uh, pleasant outcome. It's... I suspect it's changed the way I think it's probably changed the way that I approach um, issues a little bit. And it's made me feel able to challenge, interestingly, and and not something that that really came out immediately, but we're better at challenging the outputs that the commercial cash flow software give us. Right. (laughs) Um, In the sense that, you know, we've, we've effectively now built our own or I've built my own. Yeah. Um, And so I can, I can challenge some of those outputs a little bit better uh, than I might have done previously. And from a client's point of view, do you think it has changed their experience at all? Um, possibly not so much as as some of you are the guests, and and I suspect that's because, um, if you like, um, you're already we, doing financial planning. We were planning. already there, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so my journey into financial planning had been had been via people, basically almost certainly the CFP was involved in it, but not directly. You know, yeah. I was I was learning from others uh, who were who were showing me a, a different way of working and I was picking that up with the CFP was the was the culmination of that really rather than the start of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's really interesting, you know, depending on where you are on your professional journey and kind of who you've bumped into and spoken to and your, you know, your kind of your general attitude, I think, for you know, for meeting people and kind of rolling your sleeves up and challenging them and, you know, asking, well, why did you do it differently? And why did you do it that way? And all that kind of things. Um, I guess we all do that differently, don't we? So the, the you know, the, the CFP gets picked up at different points on that journey. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was definitely uh, a benefit, I guess, for it to have been, to pick it up just after it had been modernised um, and, and brought, you know, brought, to a level seven qualification, which makes it unique in the financial services um, sort of education space. Um, you know, it was it was nice to be able to to have achieved a level seven qualification in, in some ways. Yes. I think there's a little bit of lethargy that comes to you go well functionally from a qualification framework, it, it being equivalent to the charter qualification that I've spent you know years in the past doing. <laughs> you go well. What's the incentive? What's the personal development incentive? 
to, to going and taking it. So it's quite nice that you then, you know, you're able to, to, to go up a level in terms of qualifications, if you like. Yeah. And I think it's, it certainly sounds like it's benefited, you know, both you personally, but also your, your business and, and your clients ultimately. That's what we're all here for at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so just reflecting on all of that journey that you've had, you know, we know that we've got some people who are in the middle of, you know, perhaps resubmitting one of their submissions at the moment. Um, we've got other people who are about to, well, hopefully very soon, to get their exam results and then we'll be embarking on the process. So knowing what you know as a recent uh, success candidate for the level seven, um, what advice would you give to those people? Uh, hmm. Uh, I think so. If I if I was to go back in time and talk to myself, there's a there's a phrase that, that gets um, used a lot in in the kind of martial arts and combat sports world, and that is uh, leave your ego at the door. Um, and I think that is very would be have been very helpful for me at the start <laughs> of the process. Because I think having done a decade of, of professional exams and thinking, you know, I know how to do this. I'm comfortable within this. You know, I'm in my comfort zone. I don't need to, um, you know, I don't need to worry too much about this being too different. You know, it is totally different from any other assessment style um, that I've undergone as a professional uh, and much more challenging in terms of the application of that. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be the first thing, you know, just just leave any expectations you've got about what exams look like. Um, the second would be don't think that reading the workbook is sufficient because it isn't. You know, the the, the workbook is 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 a starting point, but um, without some sort of third party support, people can do it, and and uh, clearly, clearly they have um, without third party support. But I was at the point having having been on Steve's course, and I know there are you know um, other sort of coaching and courses available now. Um, the 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 difference in in how I approached the exam was just night and day. Uh, so not only that, but there was a whole load of sort of technical understanding of how it's going to be examined that you just you can't find anywhere else. Um, what I would say is Steve. Steve teaches one way to pass the CFP. And I think there are, well, I know there are multiple because I've, I say I've seen submissions that have passed that have, for example, used commercial cash flow software. But I think you're making it harder for yourself if you do. <laughs> no matter yeah. what the uh, CISI sort of officially says, oh, well, it is now possible to do it with it. That's one of those things that's kind of technically true, but not necessarily the wisest uh, uh, approach. Yeah. Um, so swat up on your rare. Uh your spreadsheet skills if you're uh, if you feel that you might be lacking them yeah absolutely yeah and and that is funny actually because that is a a key factor and, and one of the challenges on the course was people who were struggling with their own use of excel because mm -hmm. what the course doesn't do is provide you with an excel spreadsheet to use it shows yeah. you how to put one together but there's quite a bit of assumed knowledge there um that, that you know some some of the less technically capable people on the course were struggling with yeah yeah but once you've done your kind of groundwork and preparation then for you you felt it obviously was achievable wasn't it 
Yeah, definitely, and and it and it, is, and it doesn't take three submissions and, and and you know and wanting to go and jump off a cliff in the middle of it uh, to to get there for everybody. You know, it was a particularly <laughs> extreme process for me, um, and I'm but I'm glad it was in some ways. It was you know it was, it was useful learning for me about myself, uh, so that was helpful. Um, but but also um, you know it's it's a case of. of, of Hear, hear about others' mistakes, you know, hear about my mistakes so that you don't make them. <laughs> you know, go and talk to people that have done, particularly the recent one that's changed quite a bit from the previous. Um, you know, speak to people like me, speak to speak to anybody else who's who, who's done it, find out what they did. You know, a, a great example, one piece of advice that Steve gave that, you know, sh- should, should be written in bold in, you know, 50-point text at the front of the workbook don't start writing your report until you finish your spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, you, I'm sure people, collectively thousands of hours could have been saved from people paying attention yes. to that advice or, or hearing that advice. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't put one letter on the piece of paper until you've got your models built. Um, yeah, well, that, those, those sorts of practical help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Alistair, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and being so honest about all of the ups and downs of getting through your CFP. But I guess the most important thing is that, as you said, you learn things about yourself along the way, but um, hopefully it, it will benefit your clients and your business in the long run, um, you know, becoming a certified financial planner. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Uh, just w- one more thing, actually, Jackie, if I can. Sure. One of the side benefits that, and funnily enough, one of the reasons I really wanted to get it was that you get access once you're a CFP to the international CFP community. Now, I'm not sure how well known that is in the UK, but there's a fantastic, uh, and, and the associate membership or the international membership isn't very expensive, and you get access to the academic journal and, and to sort of this big community of international CFPs. Um, so yeah, that, that's another tip. Once you've got it, go and find that because that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be delving around in um, getting good, building good relationships with other CFPs around the world in in other podcasts coming up shortly. So, uh, but yeah, there's nearly two hundred thousand certified financial planners around the world now, all willing to share their experiences and help you along the way. It's great if you've got clients in other countries that you want to partner with other CFPs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, thank you for having me. It's been it's been a good one. And, and like I say, if, if anybody does want to hear in a bit more detail or, or chat about the the, the complications and, and, and the ways to get through it, I'm always happy to help. I'm, I'm on Great. Twitter and email and all those usual things. Thank you. That's very kind. Thank you, Alistair. And good afternoon, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast quite interesting to listen to the different views and discussions with different people, isn't it? Join me next time when we'll be discussing all things Certified Financial Planner related and catching up with those new to the financial planning profession. Bye for now.